So, you know it's not annoying? Episode 31 of the all-new sports show, the podcast. Unless you're Joe Villa and you just happen to be listening to this. Damn it. We just blew it. Oh, well. It's fine. Not post this until after Sunday. <laughs> yes. This podcast coming a bit late. Um, but, guys, we have an excellent episode for you today. It is uh, the all-new sports show, the podcast. I am Edward Green, joined, as always, by producer Desmond McManus and Wes Bradshaw. Um, multitudes of ways to get up with us. If you want to tell us exactly what your thoughts of on the WWE, uh, basically big leaguing us, trying to get press passes, uh, you can complain to them on their Twitter page. But if you want to show solidarity, make sure you also include at All New Sports Show which is our Twitter feed, or at Edward Green and at Wes Bradshaw 21. Uh, you can also go to our Facebook page and let us know how upset you are about this, facebook.com slash show. You can take a picture and include us on Instagram, instagram.com slash show. Uh, if you want to make a video and share it with us about your displeasure, you can find our channel at youtube.com slash show. And if you just don't, you're not creative, but you're a wordsmith, then email us, allnewsportshow at gmail.com. Or if you find Joe Villa and you want to send us his severed head, you can send it to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. And that's how that is. I'm in a great mood. Uh, can you not tell? You know, of course, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the Collins basketball, even though we are going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess all I can say right now is, uh, tar. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, no answer to that? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's fine. Uh, just, whatever. It, it yeah. is, it is what it is. Do you know how many minutes I watched of the game? Uh, probably, <laughs> you know how many I watched of it? <laughs> so we probably watched about the same amount. I literally watched the, um... I watched the last 1.6 seconds because I happened to turn it back. <laughs> oh, this is very important. We're very good at our jobs. Uh, we, will, we will be talking about the ACC Big Ten Challenge and, and how it's less a challenge and more of a, uh, a comeuppance by the Big Ten. Of course, we'll be starting with Saka, a double dose of the Barclays Premier League this week as we have hit December where the schedule just goes haywire. Uh, we will quickly preview NMLS Cup Final, uh, maybe even take, depending on time, a quick peek at some other leagues around the world, including the BBVA, the Bundesliga, and Lyon. Uh, we'll talk a little bit MLB, a few deals going down, including the confusing series of events that is the Braves offseason. We'll, of course, review and preview college football and take a quick look, like we said, at college basketball. We'll hit the zeitgeist uh, for some stories, like we mentioned a little earlier in the pod, uh, maybe before we started, uh, about the uh, the protest that the Rams did, the little demonstration they made before their game on Sunday. Uh, UAB, unfortunately, has lost its football program. A uh, little music, a little television, and of course, So Raw, which big news, maybe the biggest news of the week, Wes, is what came out outside the ring in, oh. in literary form. Oh, big time. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the now infamous CM Punk podcast interview. I, I, CM Punk is very quickly growing on me. I didn't like him at first. You, you would have liked him. You would have liked Punk. Oh. I, I, I'm becoming a very big CM Punk fan. 
And we'll talk about that more when we get into So Raw. Uh, but first, Wes, I will I will leave it up to you, as I generally do. Uh, whenever there is two matches of the week to discuss, I let you pick. Do you, Usually it's between, do you want to start domestic or European? This week, it's just, do you want to start at the weekend, or do you want to start the weekday? Let's go in chronological order, man. Let's start on the weekend. All righty. We, we need to set up the weekday. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, weekday games, very, very weird, uh, especially when they're not on Monday. Uh, but your scores looked like this from this past weekend. Uh, it was a sunny day for our two teams, but we will get to that in just one second. Uh, the day started Arsenal 1, West Brom 0. Burnley and Aston Villa played to a 1-1 draw. Liverpool 1, Stoke 0. Manchester United 3, Hull City 0. QPR 3, Leicester 2. Craziness. Swan City 1, Crystal Palace 1. West Ham won Newcastle nil. Sunderland and Chelsea play to a scoreless draw at the Stadium of Light. And on Sunday, in your matches of the weekend, Southampton nil, Manchester City 3, and Tottenham Hotspur 2, Everton 1. So, Wes, let us start uh, with the boys from Anfield getting a 1-0 win over Stoke. The much maligned, and after his goal in the 85th minute, slightly head-bloodied, Glenn Johnson. Yes, Glenn Johnson, who was almost sort of a scorer back in the day for Chelsea. He comes through in a big way for Brendan Rodgers' side as Liverpool stop a three-game skid at home at Anfield with a big 1-0 win over Plucky and Gritty Stoke in a match that saw almost even possession right down the middle of the field. And what's that? Steven Gerrard coming off the bench? Oh, goodness. Wes, talk us through what happened at Anfield. A lot of typical for about 80 minutes in that game. Um, <clears throat> you know, for Liverpool... Scoring has been the problem this year, you know. Mm-hmm. After last year where the uh, the goals flowed like honey, um, this year the goals have uh, dried up like the Mojave Desert, it seems <laughs> like. Um, you know, for 80 minutes, Liverpool had chances, were unable to uh, unable to convert. Defensively, they, they did some good things. Uh, I never thought Stoke was that big of a threat. Um you know, I was almost resigned to, okay, this is going to be nil-nil, which is going to piss me off. Either that or Stoke's going to steal a goal in about the 91st just off of a bonehead play somewhere. <laughs> and then of literally of every player in the world to come through, the guy who I have just told you all about this year, how much I have not enjoyed him. Yes, very much <laughs> so. the nicest way I can put it, I think. I just have not enjoyed him at all. And that is Glenn Johnson. Uh, coming up, getting his head on a ball and scoring what it may turn out to be, you know, if things get turned around, may turn out to be the biggest goal of the season for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, snapping the, uh, I, believe, oh, I believe it was up to a seven or eight game winless streak. Mm-hmm. You know, had some draws in there. He said the three game losing streak. Um, you know, obviously turned around and propelled them against Leicester a few days later, which we'll get to. Uh, but, you know, now... Literally in about 72 hours, the feelings have uh, 
you know, kind of changed a little bit around Anfield. And suddenly, uh, apparently, the sun came out. That thimbleful of sunlight came out in Merseyside. And Liverpool are back in the winning column. And, you know, we had mentioned just last week talking about how Brendan Rodgers' seat was getting just a little bit hot. Uh, and now everything looks like it's sort of riding the ship. Um you know, we you have the back four of Johnson, Enrique, Torre, and Skirtle. Not one I would feel would be your first choice for a back four, but they do the job. They keep a clean sheet, something that has not happened very often at Anfield the last couple years. And it's it's a win. It's a win over a team in Stoke who's not you never fully trust, but they have the ability to go out and beat, I'd say, 17 other Premier League teams on any given day. Well, they do. And, um, I mean, as far as that back line right now, there's been no back line that I trust at Anfield. So, uh, Fair point. Yeah, I mean, really, whatever combination they can figure out to work, I don't really care at this point how it goes. Um, you know, obviously, I want to see Moreno in there getting his opportunities. Um, <clears throat> but the rest of them, dude, figure it out. I don't care at this point. Well, that's a really good observation, and uh, that's analysis of its finest. Absolutely, that's hashtag analysis right there. Um, very impressive win for Liverpool. They now jump up a little bit and shake off a few of the doldrums. Moving on to White Hart Lane, as it's that most rare of sights, which certainly heralded the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Roberto Soldado. The fans cheered him on. He came from sunny Spain to score at White Hart Lane. He has gotten on the board in this Barclays Premier League season as he nets the winner in stoppage time in the first half for Tottenham as they prevail over Everton. Uh, Kevin Morales had a tremendously gorgeous goal to open the sheet for Everton. But just a few minutes later, it was Christian Eriksen getting the equalizer in a matchup of two teams that had come off Europa League victories. Spurs, only their third win at home this season, so very important there. And quite frankly, this Spurs team finally starting to look like a team that uh, Daniel Levy purchased by getting uh, Maurizio Pochettino in. Um, you know, for Spurs, it's just, it's almost like some games it's there. Hmm. And then they just forget what they did right. Um, you know, and of course, we'll get into the uh, weekday game in a little bit. Maybe lessons weren't learned. To an extent. Don't know. But, um, I mean, at this point for Spurs, it's just like, I mean, as a Spurs fan, I believe it. All I can literally do is just sit there and be like, well, you know what? If we get it, we get it. If we don't, I'm just, I'm not... So much concerning myself at times. And I know that sounds horrible, but uh, I just, I have so many questions for the Spurs team who just seem like they should be better than what they are. I think, I think they're starting to show flashes. I think they showed flashes today, actually, against Chelsea, which we'll get into later. Um, I think they might have been a little bit unlucky. But anyway, uh, I, I think, I think though you're really starting to see, I think. Erickson is maybe the key part of this. He is someone who looked fairly lost in the first five or six matches this Premier League season and even a little bit in other competitions. And all of a sudden, he has looked much, 
much better. And I think it's because he's finally starting to learn the system. I think other people are starting to learn the system. I think the back four is starting to look much better. Um, once we get Kirikesh out of there, hopefully very, very soon. Uh, very, very soon. Um, and hopefully he, uh, we'll, we'll get some people back off the injured list. Uh, and and they'll be able to play a little bit more instead of him. I just because he's he's right now the only one I don't trust. Federico Fazio has looked very good. Him coming over, Ben Davies, very very stable. He's he's not going to help that much going forward, but he's just very very solid defensively. And Jan Vertonghen, God I hate him, but he's good. <laughs> I hate him so much, but he's good. And uh, I. I just I think this team is finally starting to click a little bit, and I know this all sounds stupid after the result today at Stamford Bridge, but I and I have other thoughts on that, and you know it's it's Chelsea. They're probably going to not lose a game this season in the Premier League, but I think one thing I was telling people about is the weight that got lifted off that team, that fan base, and that one player in Roberto Soldado when he scored was cathartic that's all it was it was just cathartic and now maybe maybe that was all he needed maybe it was just the one after over 600 minutes of not scoring in the premier league he gets on the board i think this is a turnaround for spurs i'm not saying they're a top four team i'm not saying they will not have games like they had today against chelsea i'm just saying going forward to everybody who was saying a few weeks ago, this is a team that's going to be in a relegation battle. And believe me, I heard that. And I have names written down on a sheet. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, I, I, I just, I think this is a team that going forward, if if the Southampton influence can keep coming in, signing the, the technical director to come in and help with scouting, I think this is a team finally on a good uptick, and all I can say is I hope Daniel Levy doesn't F it up. That's that's it. I never thought they would really be in a relegation battle. Um, oh, I know you didn't. No. I mean, they're, they're, they're just – there's only one team in Europe this year that is just that good who are in a relegation battle, and that's Dortmund. Um, yes. yes. No, no. I mean, you guys, you know, Spurs, they're going to be fine. They're not going anywhere down. Um, I just, I, I'm not ready to call them top four worthy by any means. I don't think they're a top four team. I don't believe I did coming into the season. Um, I believe they're, they're, in that, they're in that six to ten range is where they should end this year. Um, what you're going to want to see – you know, what, what you're going to want to see is a continued improvement in Spurs because, of course, this is year one for Pochettino. And, I mean, literally, unless you're, you know, Josie Mourinho where you walk into a world-class team and you can go out and buy world-class players immediately to upgrade your team, I just think it's a little unrealistic to always think that a manager is going to come in year one and fix everything all at once. Oh, certainly. Um, and Pochettino came in, he had a really good reputation. And I think, you know, people have been disappointed just, oh, man, you know, I thought this was going to work out. Well, I mean, folks, you are, what are we at, 13, 14 games into the season? 14, 39. Not even halfway. Not even 40%. Yeah, I mean, you're 14 in. You know, the guy, this was not a team that he built. 
You know, he's playing with parts that were given to him. Yeah, he, he brought in a few guys. But, I mean, he didn't bring in the big playmakers for this team. I mean, they're, they're, they're having to jail. You know, they're playing a new philosophy. It's guys who some are probably uncomfortable with what they're having to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, give the guy a break. Give him some time. You know, I mean, I know that the Premier League is the, uh, is the SEC of Jace. <laughs> but um, yeah, give the guy some time. I mean, God, even Bielema got a year at Arkansas before they really got on his ass. And look how he responded. I mean, hey, they turned around some this year. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, hell, Saban went six and six his first year at Alabama. Yeah, get compared some. to the world, <laughs> compared it to nine eleven. Get some. <laughs> I remember so, that uh, press conference. <laughs> I remember that one. That was fun. Um, so you know, just you know, be calm. You know, like you said today, you saw some good things against Chelsea. That's a good thing. You know, just take the victories where you can. You know, hey, what Spurs need to have at this point, because of course I think they're going to be safe in the uh, in the Premier League. Their goal, I believe, for this year should be to win Europa. Yeah, that's fair. I mean that 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 needs to be their goal. I mean, win Europa, get in the Champions League. I mean, then you've got something to offer. You've really got something to offer at that point. That um, that kicks up that process for Pochettino to be able to do what he wants. Um, I mean, if you don't have a real ambition, A, to win the title, or B, if you don't really think that your top four dreams are really attainable, mm-hmm. hell, go all in on Europa. I know everybody laughs about it, but shit, there's a Champions League spot up for grabs this year. Yeah, that's big money. That's big money. I, mean, I, I really, I think everybody, I think with that Champions League spot, everybody should be all in on Europa. I mean, it's crazy now. You know, it used to be, oh, well, who cares? You know, you win a crappy trophy. Yeah, but now you get a Champions League spot. Everybody should go into Europa thinking, shit, we need to win this thing. Absolutely agree. And hopefully uh, Spurs will continue on their winning ways. They will have their final uh, Europa League group match next week against Besiktas uh, to try and win the group and go forward into the round of 32 with a good draw. All right, let's move on to the red side of Manchester where it was United 3, Hull City nil. Uh, Steve Bruce's team continuing to plummet down the Premier League table as goals by Chris Smalling, hmm? yes, Wayne Rooney and Robin Van Persie are all Louis Van Hull's team needed. Three goals, three points. Dare I say, are United starting to turn it around and look really dangerous? Even even with Angel De Maria picking up a knock, yeah, I hate it. God, I hate it, but they are. Um, and you know, if the uh, rumor mill is true out of United, you know, expect them to be looking for guys to help. Um, you know, come January, you know, United has a they have a world class attack, and I mean that's a great you know that's a great place to start. When you have a world-class attack, um, you know, it, it, it can mask some things. United's weakness is at the back, and they're not going to be shy about going out and trying to strengthen that back line. Um, Mats Hummels, whose name has been bandied about for a couple years now in England between Arsenal and United, uh, once in a while Liverpool, sometimes you'll hear him with Chelsea. Um, you know, he's one of the better central backs in the world. Uh, German national plays for Dortmund. Dortmund, of course, right now, you know, we mentioned him earlier. Dortmund's situation is going to be very interesting 
to keep your eye on come yeah. January. Because here's the deal. They're gonna they're advancing in the Champions League. They're mm-hmm. playing great in the Champions League. They are steaming dog shit in their domestic league, which is just bizarre. Yeah. Um it doesn't make any sense. I mean, so you, you've got to be thinking, you know, what is Dortmund's plan? You know, one day you hear, oh, they're gonna just dismantle it, da da da. I mean, if you dismantle that team, you're basically saying, all right, go ahead and relegate us. Yeah. And we don't uh, care about the Champions League either. I mean, really. I mean, I just I don't know what they're going to do. You know, Jurgen Klopp is under pressure. You know, he's under fire. Uh, you know, you hear every day, well, he might be leaving. You know, he might just, you know, he might quit and kind of fall on the sword for this whole thing. Um you know, you've heard rumors in the past that he may be the eventual replacement for Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, that Arsenal would love to have him. There was a story out about a week or so ago that, uh, you know, Liverpool were going to make a godfather offer to him. They're going to fire Brendan Rodgers and go after Klopp. Um, I just, oh, they, they I, I just think they kind of hold the key to what a few English teams are going to end up doing. Because, I mean, if they do go into fire sale mode, I mean, you're talking Mats Hummels, uh, Ilke Gundogan, who's always hurt, uh, Marco Royce, who's always hurt. Um, <laughs> you know, Henrik Matarian is there. Um, I mean, they have they have really good world-class players. Yeah. Um, if three or four of those guys suddenly hit the market, I mean, you know it's going to be the English clubs and Munich going for them. Mm-hmm. You know, so if the English clubs decide, you know, we we really want these guys, I mean, you know, you can really see a reversal of fortune with a guy or two moving in January. So, you know that that's kind of that's kind of the interesting thing this year. I just I believe you're going to have a Premier League arms race in January because, I mean, everybody, I mean, you still got teams in twelfth, thirteenth place that are still in it for a chance mathematically. You know to maybe end up at near the top of the table. Yeah. Champions League slots are wide open. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's Except like, for number one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, number one is basically done. Um, I believe number two is going to be City. I still do. They're starting mm-hmm. to hit stride. They're going to be fine. Three and four, buddy, they are open. Yep, they are very open. Very much so. Very uh, much so. So, we'll see, man. We'll All see. Right, well, as we know, money is never an object for Ed Woodward, so we'll have to see what Manchester United does in the transfer market coming up while we will be on international break, basically. Um, going into the blue side of Manchester, they, like you said, they turned it around. A big 3-0 win at the Saints of Southampton. Uh, the only good thing I think you can say about Southampton is Fraser Forster did deny Sergio Aguero on a clean breakaway goal, so good for him, uh, trying to impress and maybe even supplant Joe Hart one day. But it is Yaya Torre, yep, he's very well fed now. Frank Lampard whew, and Gail Clichy in the 88th minute round out the scoring in the second half for Manchester City. Uh, like you said, very impressive, and it looks like, hey, Maybe City finally give a crap again. Uh, you know, they kind of go through this uh, when they feel like it. Um, the thing is, last year, you know, they went, they, they really, they kind of went through this last year 
but nobody ever ran away with the race, so they ended up winning the championship. <laughs> well, this year they've done it, and uh, you know they're they're going to lose the championship because of Chelsea, because uh, Chelsea's taking the ball and run with it. But um, yeah, man, I mean, if City's coming around, buddy, I mean, they're going to be they're going to be hell on wheels for anybody. And very impressive, especially uh, after they saw what Bayern could do against them in the Champions League with just 10 men. Uh, Elikwam Mengala decided, hey, I'll try to do it too. <laughs> A second yellow saw him get sent off, and uh, Manchester City still scored two goals. Yes, that's how the scriptwriter saw fit to do it. Two goals after he was sent off. So 10-man City gets a big win against Southampton. Um, I'm going to save the other talk of Southampton until we talk about today's matches, uh, which we will move on to right now. Here are your scores from midweek action. Uh, Burnley won. Newcastle United won. Burnley starting to make a little headway trying to get out of the relegation zone. Uh, Leicester won. Liverpool three. All I can say is that, to uh, for start with, is Simon Mignolet. Lol. Manchester United two. Stoke City one. Swansea two. QPR nil. Crystal Palace nil. Aston Villa one. West Brom won, West Ham 2, and on Wednesday it was Arsenal 1, Southampton 0, Chelsea 3, Tottenham 0, Everton and Hull City draw at 1 apiece at Goodison Park, and Sunderland 1, Man City 4, despite taking an, under, or an early lead for Sunderland and the Black Cats, Manchester City score 4 on answer to get a win there. But Wes, let us start back at Leicester, uh, Steven Gerrard. I, lo- I love the uh, the press conference, Stephen Gerrard. You're uh, no stranger to being the Barclays Premier League man of the match. Um, how are you signing a new contract? Are you going to talk about your new contract, Stephen Gerrard? What is your new contract situation? So apparently, Stevie G might have a new contract. All right. <laughs> Um, I, I love these post-game interviews. They're fantastic. I love it, man. I mean, you know, here, here in the United States, I think we've said this before, you know, it's all oh, the Boston media, the New York media, they're so tough. Yeah, they're nothing on Premier League media. <laughs> really Those guys got nothing. I'm going to tell you, man, you know, when we went to Charlotte earlier this year, you know, Pippo and Zoggy, Brendan Rodgers, they, I know they went to those uh, press conferences and they were like, Psh, this is like literally the most chill we will be all year. <laughs> It's a relaxed atmosphere. It's like, if I don't want to answer a question, I'll just say, I don't want to answer that question. And what are those Americans going to do? Not a damn thing. It's like, (laughs) oh, well, okay, cool. Oh, well, at Anfield, just real quick, uh, Lester opened the scoring with a Simon Mignolet on goal in the 22nd minute, but Liverpool answered very quickly Adam Lallana with a putback in the 26th, and he got the crowd pumped up. Steven Gerrard scored in the 54th minute. Jordan Henderson tallied in the 83rd. These uh, Henderson's goal coming after Wes Morgan, not you, but Wes Morgan was carted off straight red for Leicester. Um, so, yeah, you know, a second win on the trot for Liverpool. Well, talking about Gerard, you know, after that match, you know, uh, if that's the performance we can get, hell, sign him up for two more years. Um, <laughs> Gerard, he was man of the match, but um, had a hand in all three goals. Uh, actually set up both the Lalana and the Henderson goals uh, with um, passes into the box. Well, you know, what you saw in this game 
was uh, you saw Stevie play a much more advanced role. Basically, he played uh, right behind the striker, huh. not quite as a number 10. You um, say that. That sounds... That sounds familiar. Where where did I hear that? Oh, on the All New Sports Show, the podcast. Seriously, who said that this would work? So, um, you know, it's it's an interesting thing that, uh, you know, here's Gerard. He can still play. The problem with Stevie is, is not his skill. It's his legs. I mean, he just, he's 30, I want to say 34 years old. I mean, the guy just does not have the legs to go anymore like he used to. And by that, I say, you know, he can't do it, especially this time of year, you know, you can't start him on Sunday and then on Tuesday again, or Saturday and Tuesday like you would have in the past. With the Champions League, they're going to have to make decisions somewhere. Um, You know, he... You've got to control the amount of Steven Gerrard that you get. I liked, I love the fact against um, Stoke on Saturday, we brought him on for about the last 15 minutes, and he was really effective. Mm-hmm. You know, Gerrard, he, he's gonna, he's not going to be able to play like he used to, but he is still a very good, very valuable commodity for Liverpool. That, and you cannot expect to put him in front of four guys on the defense and expect for him to be the killer out there who's going to shut everybody down. I, I, think, I, think I still think he needs to play more forward where he can really have a positive influence offensively on the game, and that's exactly what he did. I, I completely agree with you. Just taking a quick peek at the uh, – the, uh, if I can – Oh, I can do the actually the average position here. The average position of one Steven Gerrard just just advanced beyond midfield. I think we've looked at this tactical formation average position map, and generally Steven Gerrard in the center circle, but usually behind midfield. This time almost outside the center circle for his average position. So that, again, supports what you're saying about him trying to get a little more forward, not quite as a number 10, but going forward. Um, before we move on, um, any, any thoughts on Mignolet? I mean, it, it was the own goal was kind of harsh, <laughs> rebounding off the post into his back and into his own goal. But I, I know you're not his biggest fan. No, kill him still, but you know. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I just I think it's proven almost more and more. You know, the results, the result Saturday may cover it up a little bit. Oh, well, clean sheet. Yeah, well. Whatever, man. I mean, he's always been a shot stopper. Um, it's just, you know, he has no command for the box. He's not going to learn that overnight. He's not just going to wake up one more and say, hmm, I know exactly what to do now, and I'm the new Manuel Neuer. It doesn't work like that. Um, I just, right, I don't I don't think he's good enough for Liverpool. We'll just put it that way. I just don't think he's good enough for Liverpool. Totally fair. I, I, I think I – I think you're right. He's he's very good at preventing the ball from going into the goal on a first shot, and that's about it. That's that's it, and that's that's how the own goal. We can say a bit unlucky on the own goal, but it's it was a block and a block right to a uh, Leicester player that led to that happening. So it, it it's just ugh, woof. Uh, let's head over to the uh, Emirates. Uh, where Arsenal again pulls out a late, late win uh, with by the 
MVP of the Barclays Premier League this season, Alexis Sanchez, who is dragging the lifeless husk of Arsene Wenger and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain all the way trying to get back to that paper trophy and fourth place. Somehow, some way, Arsenal does it. Alexis Sanchez scoring in the 89th minute against Southampton. Southampton mustering only six shots against Arsenal's defense, just one on goal. Wes, are Southampton in free fall? Um, to, to quote the great Denny Green, they are who, who we thought they were. Hmm. Um, I mean, if you really look at Southampton, they haven't played anybody. <laughs> Very true. They, they, are, they are in a rough stretch right now. I mean, they, they opened the season against Liverpool. They got beat. And then truly, I mean, I could totally be wrong. I don't have the um, Southampton schedule in front of me. I mean, until they played Arsenal, uh, I mean, have they really played another what you would consider top-tier team in the Premier League since playing Liverpool? They did lose at White Hart Lane. I don't know if you count them a top-tier team. And I, and I mean, that is one. That, that is yeah. a more of a top team. But, I mean, you know, they haven't played the Chelsea's, the Cities, right. the Arsenals, mm-hmm. the Uniteds. They haven't played those teams. And right. now they're finally starting to kind of get a dose of it. And I just I think they're going to kind of be exposed for lacking. Not that they're bad at all. I mean, this is a it's a good, solid top half of the table team. Um, I just I think they've been uh, kind of in a little dream world up at number two for a long time. Yeah, just going really quickly uh, through Southampton's schedule, like you said, open at a loss, a tight loss at Liverpool to open the season, but then they get West Brom. Uh, Millwall in the Capital One Cup, uh, West Ham, uh, who actually turned out to be kind of okay when they got a win there, then Newcastle, Swansea, uh, they did beat Arsenal in the Capital One Cup, but, yeah, kind of whatever, uh, mm-hmm. then they get QPR, that was their September, then in October they lost to, uh, Spurs, uh, of course destroyed Sunderland, then beat Stoke, uh, actually beat Stoke twice in the span of a week, thanks to the Capital One Cup again, and now in November, Hull, Leicester, Villa, and now it starts. They get City on the weekend. They have Arsenal midweek, and now they go through United. Then they'll get Burnley and Sheffield United for the Capital One Cup, but then it's Everton, Palace, Chelsea. I mean, by the end of this month, we're going to know who Southampton is, truly. Very much. Um, and I've, I've got to believe they'll be out of the top four. I think it'll be around that 6-7 range. Which, to be fair, is this was a team some people thought were actually going to be in a true relegation fight after all their losses in the offseason. And here they are. They were... Seriously. But great job by then. They're probably going to end up about where they did last year, which is 8th place. I I can see them plus or minus 2 spots of that. And that's awesome considering the fact that, you know, you've changed coaches or ma- managers, excuse me. You've changed managers and basically you know, overhauled the star system of your team. Absolutely. Let's head over uh, to Stamford Bridge as Chelsea do defeat Tottenham 3-0. Uh, goals that I quit in quick succession by Ed Nazard and Didier Drogba. Uh, mask what was a very auspicious beginning by Spurs. Uh, Luik Remy, you're not a fan of him, are you, Wes? God, I wish I was a fan of his. Uh, he scored in the 73rd minute to put the game away for Jose Mourinho's side. Uh, again, 
Spurs dominate possession 61% of it uh, and did manage 10 shots. Uh, unfortunately, just could not convert. Uh, Harry Kane's header, which rattled off the crossbar most notably early on, and I actually did have another shot or two on goal. Um, like I said, this is this is just one of those things where the, it, it's going to happen. You're going to lose to Chelsea, and... Despite, I mean, the second goal was terrible because Hugo Lloris, who has been amazing this season, just made a really boneheaded decision and kicked it right to Chelsea. There's your goal. Um, first goal by Azard was just a nice little bit of interplay between him and Drogba. There were two world-class players. Yes. And then Remy came out and scored a goal, fresh off of replacing Drogba. This, there were definite issues, but... I just I just chalk it up and say, hey, we weren't going to beat Chelsea. The best we could have hoped for is one. Let's move on. There are points to get. I think we actually had a fairly easy part of our schedule at this point. I believe we have both Leicester and Burnley this month. Um, so there, you there are points. You need yes. to learn how to say Leicester. You're right. Um, there are points to be had. Uh, Eric Lemela has has not looked great the last couple of matches. I think that's one concerning note. He's just looked a little too careless with the ball. But other than that, I, I still like what I'm seeing. I loved how Spurs came out. They could have came out like Sunderland and basically played for a draw. And they didn't. They played to try and win the match. When you don't have the class of Chelsea, that's what happens, though. You, you get burned and I think what sums up Chelsea not just for this match but for this entire Premier League season is this their biggest competitor is Manchester City at home Manchester City drew with them 2-2 and the man who leveled for them was cast away by Chelsea as expendable and has turned into one of Man City's best players on the season in Frank Lampard I Chelsea right now are an embarrassment of riches and if they if the only thing that can beat them this year is a Jose Mourinho mind game that's it this this team's too good I agree oh I'm so angry um you know that might that might be the problem Mourinho might just get bored <laughs> you know around March uh I've won so much this year how do I uh, how do I uh, how do I uh, keep keep myself entertained um, you know, <laughs> Drogba is very old, <laughs> and Costa <laughs> is very hurt. I have no idea how we win. Oh, Jesus. Why, Joe? Uh, Were you just bored? Yeah, I, I think he was. I, I, I think that's the only thing that can stop this team. Um, one thing, uh, our good, or <laughs> I wish our good friends at the Men and Blazers, Michael Davis, said on their podcast this week, and is probably a concern maybe for Chelsea, is he is kind of locked into his group, and he is playing them quite a bit. Uh, Costa did not play. Uh, that was more of a sanctioning and a ban after accumulating too many yellow cards than uh, Mourinho holding him out. But he's not really going to his bench a whole lot. I mean, he's he's going with the guys he has, and when you have a bench that features Remy, Andre Scherl, and Felipe Luis, you, you, you have guys to go to. Do you think... Real quick, Wes, do you think Chelsea might want to start varying up their lineup a little bit and save their guys? I believe at this time of the year they're going to. I mean, this is uh, you know, this is that time of year that they always talk about depth being so crucial is around Christmas because you're playing the, 
you know, three games in seven days. And, you know, with Chelsea, they're going to come fast and furious for Chelsea. You know, Champions League, League, uh, FA Cup, League Cup, it's all there. Um, And Chelsea's going to have – they're going to have to. And that's – I mean, that's the reason they've bought so well over the last few years are four times like this. Um, I mean, you know, they've still got guys sitting on their bench who aren't playing much who would be absolute fantastic assets for other Premier League teams. So um, I think you're going to see it. You're going to see it open up. Um, you're going to see it open up lineup wise for Chelsea over the next month. That, I mean, it's got to happen. It's got to happen for everybody. So. I, I think you're right. Uh, all these matches coming up here. And as for your matches this weekend, uh, starting at 7.45 a.m. Saturday, it is Chelsea. They will be traveling to Chateau Nouveau and trying to beat Newcastle. Uh, at 10 a.m., you have the choice of Hull City, West Brom, Liverpool, West, against Sunderland, QPR, Burnley, Stoke, Arsenal, Tottenham, and Crystal Palace. And then at 12.30, what could be a very interesting match now, Man City hosting Everton. Uh, see if Everton can rebound now after their 1-1 draw against Hull earlier today, where I, I believe I watched the last minute of that. Uh, it looked like Steve Bruce was Steve Bruce was going to have a heart attack, as the clock just kept on running after these six plus prescribed minutes at the end of regulation, and somehow the referee still did not blow his whistle. Hull, of course, has been victimized a few times this year, late in matches when the time maybe should have kind of been over, and it looked like it almost happened again, but it did not. Uh, anyway, on Sunday at 8.30, it's West Ham hosting Swansea, and 11, Aston Villa and Leicester. And Monday Night Football, here they go. Southampton get Manchester United at home, 3 o'clock on Monday afternoon. Quick look at your Barclays Premier League table. Uh, Chelsea, again, leading the way. They are six up on Manchester City now. Southampton fall to third with 26 points. United in fourth. Manchester United, I should say, in fourth with 25 points. West Ham still in fifth with 24. Arsenal right on the outside looking in in sixth with 23. At the bottom of your heart, the relegation zone. 17th is Hull City, 12 points. They are above, staying above right now on goal differential. Burnley have climbed to 18th. They have 12 points as well. QPR have 11 points. And Leicester now at the bottom with just 10 points through 14 matches. Wes, I said we'd do it. And uh, let's take just a quick peek at some of the other leagues in Europe. Uh, you mentioned them heavily earlier as we talked about Borussia Dortmund. Uh, right now over in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich. Also, have not lost a match yet this year in league play. They have 33 points through 13 matches and lead the Bundesliga. VFL Wolfsburg and Bayer Leverkusen just behind. Uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th are Augsburg, Borussia, Mönchengladbach, Mönchengladbach, and Thank you, Offspring. Uh, and, oh, great song. Takes me back to my high school days. And in sixth place is Schalke 04. And in the relegation zone there, Stuttgart, Hamburg, and Borussia Dortmund are in dead last with just 11 points through 13 massage. It's truly stunning, Wes. God, yeah. I mean, that is... I mean... 
I, I can't it's think like, of anything else in Europe this year. I mean, I mean, you just look at it. No other top team is just having that many problems. But then it's crazy because they're they're undefeated in the Champions League. Yeah, which is supposed to be the step up. <laughs> It's it's so weird. It's it's just bizarre. Over in Leun, Marcel actually leading the way with 35 points. Uh, PSG in second, just one point behind, had a chance today to take the lead in the League One. But Lille, Wes, you have no interest in that team whatsoever. Uh, they get a 1-1 draw over PSG today. Uh, Lille struggling a little right now. They are in 15th place currently in League One with just 17 points. In third place, though, is St. Etienne with 29 points. And then over in the BBVA, the league in Spain, Real Madrid currently lead with 33 points. Barca second with 31. Atletico in third with 29. Um, I, I don't think there's any real surprises there, though, Wes. Maybe, maybe Bilbao in ninth? Um... Nah, no real surprises. Um, you know, you've got some teams coming back in the uh, La Liga this year who are, you know, kind of, I guess, more of your classic Spanish, I call them sub-powers, <laughs> because your powers are obviously um, Barcelona, Real, um, lately Atletico. But your, uh, your Villarreal's, you know, th- those teams are, those teams are coming around, and they're uh, they're they're doing a they're doing a solid job. Um, you know, Valencia, Sevilla, these are teams who you you expect in Spain to be up near the top. That you expect to be challenging for Champions League positions. Mm-hmm. Um, Valencia, I know, it had some trouble the last few years, but they're they're playing well. They're back. They're doing their thing. Um, I mean that. Uh, that top six in uh, in La Liga, uh, that's not what you were expecting to see this year, I think. I think so, too. And so we will move on from there. Uh, a little USMNT news. Uh, Tim Howard has just released a book, and uh, he is actually claiming that Brad Old Man Frito tried to block a unite uh, a move to Manchester United. Um, in this article on ESPNFC.com, it reads: uh, Tim Howard says in his new autobiography that compatriot and fellow number one. Brad Friedel actively tried to block his 2003 move from NMLS to Manchester United, a claim Friedel said was not true. On Wednesday, uh, Howard says in the book, Man, you told us that Friedel had refused to submit a statement on my behalf. Howard writes also, you're kidding me, I said. Friedel was among what was then a handful of American players in the Premier League. His influence was huge. Having himself been denied several times, he understood better than anyone exactly what was at stake. Why wouldn't he vouch for me? Um, is, is this just... Uh, what, what do you make of this, Wes? This is, this is just coming out basically a few hours ago. What's going on? Tim Howard wants to sell books. That's fair. I mean, who cares, dude? This crap happened over ten years ago. I mean, it's it's just the same as anything, man. You know, um, every time one of those footballers 
releases a book or a manager releases a book, what what do they do? Immediately the media goes and finds what's controversial in it, and that's what they hit. And that's what sells the books. So, I mean, if there's nothing controversial, if everything was just fine and dandy for Tim Howard, why would anybody buy his book? So that's all it is. I mean, they need a, they need a reason for people to buy the book. And because of that, I'm sure that'll uh, that'll get probably another few hundred USMNT fans who will buy the book. It'll probably get a few more um, uh, a few more Evertonians yeah. to buy that book. So you know that's all it is. It's 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 PR. Uh, how how dare you? How dare you suggest the media would do something like this? Excuse me, I need to pull my Sir Alex Ferguson memoir off the shelf here. <laughs> exactly. Excuse me. Excuse me. No. Oh, here's my Roy Keane book. Oh, hello, Roy. Anyway, uh, also we have NMLS Cup Final this weekend. The New England Revolution versus the Los Angeles Galaxy. Landon Donovan's final MLS game. Who will hoist the trophy, Wes? Um, since I've followed this so closely, uh, yeah. we're gonna go with um, we're gonna go with uh, Galaxy, just because yeah. I'm the players on their team. <laughs> oh, the the animalist script writers wanting to make sure Donovan gets a proper send off. I, I I think I see it. Also, if you're listening to this, uh. Jermaine Jones and Lee Nguyen, a couple USMNT players, do play for the New England Revolution. Uh, also on the LA, LA Galaxy is uh, Robbie Keane. Uh, and like we said, Landon Donovan. Uh, of course, the Galaxy beat the Sounders uh, of Seattle this past Sunday to advance to NMLS Cup Final. So unfortunately, Clint Dempsey will not get a chance again at an MLS Final. Um, feel sorry for them, but again, a great season. They actually did win the supporter shield for the most points overall in MLS the regular season. So congratulations to them on a good season. Like we said, NMLS cup final this weekend, again, new England revolution, LA galaxy. All right, Wes, let us move on to baseball as it is known in some parts of the world. Um, a few deals going down this past week since last we spoke. Um, the Mariners, they signed Nelson Cruz to a big four-year deal. Um, so that's they're trying to shore up their anemic designated hitters numbers from last year. Uh, Torrey Hunter is going back to Minnesota. Uh, he signs a deal with them. Uh, the Mariners also involved in a trade that netted them J.A. Happ from the Blue Jays as Michael Saunders goes to Toronto. Uh, and the Braves, in a very odd offseason for them, they are going to sign Nick Markakis, former Orioles outfielder, to a four-year deal with guaranteed money of $44 million. I, I don't understand this move from the Braves whatsoever. I, I just don't get it. <sighs> Who knows, man? I mean, the Braves, you know, I, I will say this. Atlanta usually seem to be pretty smart with what they do. Um, it just felt like the Hayward trade was a trade to start rebuilding for the future. And then we started 
Okay, well, but here, I mean, here's my response to that. You know, I mean, they might be sitting there thinking, you know, we don't have anybody right now who's ready. And truly, I mean, you know, you moved Hayward to get the pitching. I mean, you can find, you know, I'm sure you can develop a young outfielder somewhere in that system. There's a young kid from Buford, Georgia somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Braves only seem to draft kids from Georgia and Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> There's a kid down there somewhere from the state of Georgia who is waiting to be the next great uh, Atlanta outfielder. You know, you, you take a shot on Marcakis, um, What did you say it was four years, right? Four years, 45? Um, you know, if in two years, if you find that guy in two years, you trade Marcakis, um, I mean, he's going to have a reasonable contract, um, or, you know, you keep him three years and I mean, if you don't have somebody to develop, you've got a good serviceable outfielder. Braves needed young pitching though, and they did what they had to do. Oh, I, I under, I understand that. I just, I, I liked the move. Don't get me wrong. I liked the Hayward deal as much as I, I still really liked Jason Hayward and maybe I was one of the few. I, I really did like the deal for Atlanta. I thought it was very good. And in in a scenario where it didn't seem like they were going to re-sign Hayward at, after his walk year, I thought it was the right thing to do. I just, we we then heard them talking to John Lester. And we, we heard them talking to now Nick Marcakis and signing Nick Marcakis. It just doesn't seem like the two moves jibe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it seems like the the front office is trying to tell us they're going one direction and then they're quickly pivoting and going to another one. It's like you say sometimes, Wes. Just when we think we figured out the answer, they've changed the question. Of course, you know, Piper uh, Piper rings true all these years later. And of course, and don't forget the big move this week: Josh Donaldson going from Oakland to Toronto and Certainly. not going quietly as uh, he's had some parting shots for uh, no. general manager Billy Bean on the way out. You know, he made a comment on the, his Twitter page saying, you know, Oakland talks about how they don't have uh, any money. They have money. Trust me. They just don't want to spend it. Doesn't it seem like every, almost every athletics player takes a parting shot as they leave? I mean, that this one's just been really public, you know, because Donaldson, I mean, that's a really good baseball player, man. Yeah, and they 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 swapped him for uh, Brett Laurie, also the Toronto Blue Jays. So yeah. Toronto's been wheeling and dealing. Um, who do you like in that deal, Donaldson? Uh, it was Laurie and a couple of minor league pitchers for Oakland. Shockingly, um, I mean, I like it for the Blue Jays. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Laurie fan. Mm-hmm. So he gets uh, hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, when he's healthy, he's solid. But I mean, he's no—he's no Donaldson. Um, I, I like the deal. I like the deal for Toronto because Toronto, obviously, they—they want to win and win soon. Mm-hmm. Oakland is always in a constant rollover rebuild. Right. Just that's just their philosophy. So um, you know, it, truly, it's a good trade for both teams because Oakland's doing exactly what Oakland does. And, uh, you know, for Toronto, it gives them a guy ready to rock and roll right now. Uh, I, I, I think you're right. And I think um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the Blue Jays are. I think they're starting to really piece some puzzle pieces together. And I, I feel like we say this every few years, oh, the Blue Jays are poised to break out. Maybe they finally are. They still got to shore up a few things, but it, it looks like they're starting to be much smarter than just saying, Oh my God, Jose Reyes! Let's give him eighty thousand million dollars. That'll that'll win us games. Yeah, and because he was so dependable in New York. 
Oh yeah. Um, but you know what? Maybe maybe they see that at the AL East is actually kind of open now. Uh, the Rays are in almost full-on rebuilding mode. Uh, there's no guarantee Baltimore is going to be as good as they were this year again. Uh, New York and Boston, you figure, are going to start coming on, but there are no guarantees. Maybe maybe they think the division title th- this next season will be the, will be available to them. I mean, you know, every every year we kind of feel this way about Toronto. Oh, this is the year Toronto is going to make their move. Um, I mean, I'm going to tell you thus far, the Yankees have not. I mean, the Yankees haven't improved this offseason. Very quiet. Very quiet offseason. Now, that doesn't mean that won't, that will not and cannot quickly, quickly change. Cue to Thursday where they signed both Dave Robertson and Andrew Miller. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, you know, I don't know. For the Yankees, I think the Yankees have finally maybe sort of seen the light that it's not just about throwing big money at every free agent on the market. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, what, what always made the Yankees great back in the uh, late 90s, I mean, yes, they went and got free agents, but, I mean, you look at that team. Those guys were not – I mean, they weren't the superstars. They were – it's just everybody was they, – they basically – they paid the premium for pitching, and then they had really good players at every position. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, this was before the Alex Rodriguez and the Gary Sheffield and, you know, they're spending money on every big name in the book. You know, yes, they paid the premium for pitching, but they knew they had to do that. And they, and they had a lot, a lot of good farm. Yeah, a lot of good farm talent. good farm players. They had guys, if they needed to make a trade, they could make a trade. Um, but, you know, they spent big on pitching. And, I mean, you tell guys, Scott Brocious, Paul O'Neill, you know, um, Charlie Hayes, Chuck Knobloch, you know, um, well, Knobloch for what it's worth. Uh, you know, um, those guys were guys that they brought in who I don't think the day that they signed those guys, all oh, the Yankees are winning the World Series. You know, they brought in Jim Lairitz. They're winning the World Series. <laughs> no, it was not that at all. Um right. But what it was, was that they had guys who, you know, they called them, they were gamers. You know, they went out, they played hard, they played the right way. They were good players. You know, and then they built around them with the Jeters, the, uh, you know, the Bernie Williams, the the Rivera's, the uh, Posadas, those guys who came up, the Tino, you know, Tino Martinez. Yeah, they get Tino Martinez. He was a great player, but he was never seen until he went to New York as a premier gotta have them kind of guy. Oh yeah. But the Yankees made him that. And that that's how you build those teams. That's how you build them. Um, and then they just got into oh Kevin Brown, Randy Johnson, Gary Sheffield, you know, uh, let's buy everybody. A Rod, let's buy everybody. So and that's what really took him out of their element. Um yeah. I almost wonder if the Yankees are kind of thinking, you know, we might have to swallow a year or two. Jeter is gone. We don't have that kind of hanging over our head that you have to win for Jeter. <laughs> True. I think right now for the Yankees is the perfect time for them to shed some payroll and really get back to doing how they used to do. I, I, think, I doubt it, but we'll see. 
Yeah, we'll see. Um, let's move now to college football as we have hit the the final stretch here. Uh, the last week of regular season action is upon us. Uh, to quickly catch you up on last week's ranked games uh, during the Thanksgiving break, uh, TCU throttled Texas on Thanksgiving e- evening in Texas, 48-10. to 10. Uh, Stanford upsets UCLA, as I knew they would. 31 to 10 down in Los Angeles. Arizona gets a gritty win over Arizona State, 42-35. Missouri comes back against Arkansas, 21-14. So we get to see Missouri Alabama instead of Georgia Alabama, which is what everybody wanted. Yay! Uh, Marshall, Marshall in a stunner loses in overtime 67 to 66. Yes. To Western Kentucky. And that was a single overtime period. Um, on Saturday, of course you had the iron bowl 55, 44 Alabama beats Auburn. Pow! Oregon beats Oregon state in the border war 47, 19 Florida state again, escapes another mediocre team winning 24, 19 over Florida. Ole Miss upends Mississippi state's playoff bid winning 31, 17 in the egg bowl. Ohio state defeats Michigan and Brady hoax final game 42, 28 Baylor escapes Texas tech 48, 46 Georgia tech beats Georgia 16 or 30 to 24. Sorry. In overtime and Wisconsin 24. Wes, just, it was a crazy week. It was a crazy weekend, capsulated perfectly by the Iron Bowl. Oh, absolutely. It was what you love about college football. You know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've known for three weeks I've been waiting for this weekend. Um, yes. since the one I was building to, and it did not disappoint. Shit went down. Yes. Um, you know, great games all around the place. <clears throat> um, it, it's what you live for, man. You live for these uh, late ones. Oh, it was yeah, great. You live for these late ones. So, um, and uh, we have this coming up. This is championship weekend. A lot of conference championships on the line. There are 14 games this week, or this week, and uh, seven of them are conference title games. Uh, Thursday night is UCF East Carolina. Uh, I guess somehow UCF can still win the American, maybe because they're six and one, and they can tie Memphis at seven and one, even though they didn't play each other in the regular season. It's weird. I don't really understand. Um, moving on to actual championships, though. Friday uh, is the MAC with Northern Illinois versus seven and five Bowling Green. Friday yeah. MAC. What the hell? Wow, it's crazy. Why isn't this played on Tuesday? Tuesday. It's a Tuesday-Wednesday tradition. It very much is. Uh, At 9 o'clock, though, on Friday on Fox will be number 7 Arizona versus number 2 Oregon in the Pac-12 title game in Santa Clara, California. So both teams having to travel for that. Winner, most likely, maybe with a little help for Arizona, will be in the college football playoff. On Saturday at noon is the CUSA championship game, which means a lot less now. Marshall and Louisiana Tech. Um, you also have, of course, at four on CBS, the SEC championship game, Alabama versus Missouri. Uh, what could be a very important match, Kansas State versus Baylor in the Big 12, not a championship game, but it could go a long way, both top 10 teams. Uh, Dr. Pepper ACC championship game at eight o'clock, Florida State versus Georgia Tech in Charlotte, Wisconsin, Ohio State in the Big 10 championship game. 
Yawn. That's at 817. And then maybe one to kind of keep an eye on, the Mountain West, Fresno State against Boise State. Boise State 22nd in the country, 10-2 overall. They could be headed to one of the uh, the big bowls, uh, one of those former BCS bowls even. Um, if they do beat Fresno State, they would be the biggest or the highest ranked non Power Five conference team with a win over Fresno State and a very quietly a very good uh, year for Boise State. But Wes, I think the biggest news to come out of college football this week, the Schadenfreude I'm getting from this is just so great. As TCU jumps to number three in the college football playoff rankings, the top four remain unchanged except for that move. As Alabama stays number one, Oregon goes to number two. TCU jumps to three, and Florida State falls to four. Your next two up are Ohio State and Baylor, and knocking on the door is Arizona in seventh. Wes, we had a bit of a disagreement about this. We did. We you didn't be- it's shocking when we don't agree on something. Um, you you didn't feel Florida State should have dropped. I don't. Well, I mean, look, here's my deal. You can have Florida State anywhere from one to four. At the end of this day, if Florida State is undefeated, the only undefeated team in the country, the defending national champions on the nation's longest winning streak, you can under no circumstances keep Florida State out of this playoff. Well, and I I don't... I don't advocate them being out of the playoff. I just, I think what the three teams above them have done have been more impressive. Despite the, all three of them losing a game, I, I just, I, I think that what they've done, if Florida State played in any of those three conferences, either the Pac-12, the SEC, or the Big mm-hmm. 12, I think they would have suffered a loss. Just the way they've played this year, I think playing the ACC, which is by uh, a couple different metrics, the weakest of the Power Five conferences, even weaker than the one we like to make fun of, the Big Ten. Oh. It's just not that impressive to go twelve and zero. And to me, that's the only argument. I don't buy the argument that they're last year's uh, champions. I, I don't care by that metric. Auburn should still be in the top ten. Because they played the national championship game two last year, uh, as- they, but Auburn's lost games. Auburn's lost four games since. I mean, yes. they lost the championship game and they've lost four games. I mean, Florida State. Here, here's my deal. You know, I despise Florida State. True. So I mean, you know, th- this is not so much. Oh, he's a he's an ACC. I'm not an ACC guy. I'm not a Florida State. Guy. I'm a Miami guy. I hate Florida State. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just believe, and this is why I'm actually glad that we have a committee and not a computer, because, and I understand what you say, you know, it it goes season by season, but you also, you have to look at the full body of work as well. And yes, this is a different Florida State team, but they are having to carry a yoke that no one else in college football has to carry. And that's the fact that they are the 
the one team that every single week has the biggest bullseye squarely on their back. They are the most hated team in college football right now. Nick Saban says, thank you very much. (laughs) For once, it's not my ass. They're the most hated team in college football. Everyone who is not a Florida State fan every week goes in there praying to the college football gods, please, I don't care who does it, let them lose. And yes, they have not been overly impressive, but this is still a team who has found a way to remain undefeated with every single week the weight of the world on their shoulders. They have found a way to stay undefeated. When they went into Miami, they went to Boston College. I believe they went to North Carolina State. These places were absolute hornet's nests waiting for them. They have been circled since August. This is our game to prove ourselves on the national stage. And for whatever you do say about Florida State, and I have talked so much shit about them this year, I'll continue to talk shit about them. The only thing those some bitches find a way to do is at the end of the day have more points on the scoreboard than the other team. And there has got to be something said for that at the end of the day. You know, if Clemson had just done the job in week three and not Clemson, we wouldn't be having to have this conversation right now. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, thanks, Clemson. I mean, really, name name off the top of your head a game that they have not been threatened in. Opening game of the year, Oklahoma State had them down by two touchdowns. I'll um, say, uh, basically, it's been the Citadel, which was week two, and Wake Forest in week five. Yeah, that's really which it. Are basically, they're two true shit games this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Miami had them. God, everyone in the world felt Miami had them dead to rights. Miami outplayed them. I mean, they got the lucky bounces in that game. They got a couple of lucky calls. Um, you know, Boston College, for the most part, outplayed The thing is, they're getting outplayed, but they're finding a way to win. And sometimes, Ed, that is the mark of a champion, is when you're not playing your best and the other team is playing their best, you still somehow find a way to come out on top. The only problem with this Florida State team is they are so unlikable. That no one wants to give them that benefit of the doubt. But I still think when you look at the film, this Florida State team belongs in that top group. They belong in that playoff. And, um, you know, if they can find another way to figure out how to beat Georgia Tech this week, they're going to be in that playoff. And I'm going to tell you, if I am anywhere else in that playoff, I am terrified to play Florida State in that first game. Yeah, right now it would be Alabama and Florida State meeting up in the Sugar Bowl over in Louisiana, which you think might be actually a very pro-Alabama team, although Tallahassee will probably travel well. And then it would be also Oregon-TCU, I believe, in the Rose Bowl, which could be a very, very interesting match. Um, all right, we're going to make a prediction right now. How do the top four look after this weekend of championship games? <sighs> Bama's in. All right, here's where I'm going to get fucking crazy. Bama's in, Florida State's in, TCU's in, Oregon is going down. Who are you? Who are you putting in there? Who's coming in the fourth position? Oh, this is oh, this is the one that just kills me. Um, 
it's here's the deal. It's going to come down to um, that sophomore quarterback from Ohio State because if Oregon loses, Ohio State will get in if they beat Minnesota. Or not Minnesota, if they beat Wisconsin, excuse me. Mm-hmm. They will get in, and you think people are going to be howling about Florida State? You just fucking wait until Ohio State gets in over a Baylor team that their only loss, I mean, a team that basically they have one loss and they head-to-head beat one of the teams that's going to be in the playoff. Mm-hmm. But Ohio State, it, it, Ohio State is going to get in because they're Ohio State and they won the Big Ten. And you would also think that Baylor, who would, if they beat Kansas they State, would, would actually – they would be the Big 12 champions. Their only loss would have been at West Virginia. And, of course, yep. Ohio State's only loss would have been against a very, let's just call them crappy, yep. Virginia Tech team. At home. Yeah. At home to Virginia Tech. But I just, oh, my God. And, and then, you know, this committee's supposed to be, you know, they're taking into account injuries. Okay, even if they can find a way to beat Wisconsin this week. Mm-hmm. They are nowhere near the team that they were with JT Barrett. Yeah, if they do it in like a a sloppy like 16-11 or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think Baylor could jump them. I really do. If they don't win convincingly, and and there's a spot open. Oh, I would pray for it. God, the, the last thing in the world I want is a fifty percent chance. That Ohio State or Florida State could come out this yes. year as your national champions. I mean, I'm really, I mean, God, unless the Gators were in there, the, the only thing I could think that would be worse would be a college football playoff featuring Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Florida. Yeah. That's literally the only thing I think that could, that would be the only combination that I think would keep me from watching college football. <laughs> I, I would just I would want to literally slip my wrist at that point. Here here's my prediction. I think it's gonna be Alabama at number one. I think it's gonna be Oregon at number two. I think it's gonna be TCU at number three. And I think it's gonna be Ohio State at number four because I think Florida State is going to lose to Georgia Tech. I I really think Georgia Tech's going to beat them. And that opens the door for Ohio State. Because even if at that point, even if Ohio State doesn't win convincingly, uh-huh. I think that the committee still might move them into the fourth slot ahead of Baylor, which is going to suck because if Baylor wins, they will have beaten the number nine team in the country. Yep. And I believe, and I want to, I, I actually I think it's at home. Yeah, it is at home. I thought it might be on the road for a second, but no, it'll be it'll be at home. Well, as well as well as a win over the number three team in the country on their resume. Yeah, yeah. Where, where Ohio State would have beaten. Um, I mean, yeah, you could say well, they beat Wisconsin and Minnesota and Michigan State. That's cute. They'll yeah. all enjoy those uh, those non New Year's Day bowl games. I mean, that's that you look at their schedule. That's that's their most impressive win is 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 at Michigan State by twelve. Yeah, and that's it. Don't well, talk I mean, to me about number twenty five Minnesota. No, God, no. Here, here is the uh, here's the everybody goes crazy scenario. Oregon loses to Arizona. Um, Ohio State loses to Wisconsin. Florida State loses to Georgia Tech. Kansas State beats Baylor. 
Um, you're looking yeah. at Arizona. Arizona's getting their way into that. Um, I mean, you're looking. You're literally. You're looking at. Uh, you're looking at Alabama, TCU, Arizona, and I, I'm. I'm not going to lie to you here. Oh, yeah, One of those say. teams that loses is going to get in at that point. You you don't think you don't think Kansas State could leapfrog in there in that scenario? No, I don't. Um, I think right now there are seven teams battling for four spots. I I can see that. I I, I think. I, I think in a nightmare scenario, in a in a in a insane scenario, I think Kansas State can get in. I think they can get in, and I would include them. I don't think Michigan State can get in, even though they are a slot above Kansas State, because they don't play anybody this week. That's right. I, I don't see how they jump. So I would say I would still include Kansas State, even though it would take complete and utter chaos it might take all four of the top teams losing and even then i still think alabama would still get in in that scenario and tcu in that scenario then also has to lose to a god-awful two and nine iowa state team at home that's not gonna happen so i i think in a nightmare scenario kansas state can get in i don't i just there's too many things that have to happen but i think you know, well, I just it, I, I believe I believe a two-loss Oregon team would get in over uh, Kansas State. Oh, okay, I can mm-hmm. I can kind of see that happening. I don't yeah, I, I don't just, necessarily I, disagree I could, with that. I could see Oregon being the one who, um, if chaos did reign, Oregon could be that fourth team sliding in. Um, maybe. Well, what well, do you mean? Do you mean besides Alabama or over Alabama? Because I um, think Alabama would be their, their the oh, number no, one pick. I, I was still assuming an Alabama victory. Gotcha. I, I see. Understand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my, my Kansas State scenario is where like everybody above them gotcha. loses. And then I still think Alabama would get in at that point. Um, all right. Let's go quickly to the ACC Big Ten Challenge and college basketball, which has so far been dominated by the Big Ten. Hey, at least they're good at something, I guess. Uh, <laughs> they start on Monday night uh, with Rutgers beating Clemson woo, and Nebraska beating Florida State. Woo. Uh, on Tuesday, Indiana beat Pitt. Uh, Minnesota beat Wake Forest. Michigan beat Syracuse. Purdue beat NC State, uh, so that is six wins. However, uh, Miami beat Illinois. Good on you. And Louisville beat Ohio State. So those, uh, of course, Louisville has former our area player Montrez Harrell, who uh, after missing two free throws but getting bailed out by a lane violation late in the game, uh, got a chance to hit one and winked. And smiled after making it. So, good on you, Montrez. Maybe make your free throws in the future. Um, so, at that point, the Big Ten led 6-2. And after the current results we've had, uh, Notre Dame oh, beats Michigan. Uh, yes. Notre Dame beats Michigan State to make it 6-3. Uh, that was in overtime. Penn State beat Virginia Tech to make it 7-3. Iowa beats North Carolina to make it 8-3. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Georgia Tech was handedly beating Northwestern when we started this pod. That's now a four-point game. 
Uh, Virginia is currently still cruising against Maryland, and man, that's really weird that that's now a Big Ten challenge game. Um, Virginia's up. <laughs> Virginia is up by 15, though, with about seven and a half to play. And right now, in what was the game of the challenge, uh, Duke is currently up five points on Wisconsin mm-hmm. with 10 minutes to play in the second half. And um, uh, it's like, I believe Duke going to the foul. No, Duke passing in right now with the ball just under 10. I got that one on as we watch. So. Well, I tell you what, we will actually uh, revisit this whole thing maybe later in the podcast. If if the this game ends before the podcast does, we will uh, come back to this and update it. But right now... Uh, Big Ten kind of laying the smackdown on the ACC, and it looks like with the eight wins they've gotten, they will win the Big Ten Challenge no matter if the ACC can win these last three. They'll still win 8-6. And, so um, I'm going to tell you that not to be a hater. I mean, you know I don't like Carolina, but um, I'm going to tell you, man, if I'm a Tar Heel fan going to bed tonight, I'm, I'm worried. I'm a little worried about this team. It's weird. Uh, they they had a, a, a tough loss in the Bahamas to Butler, even though I think Butler's actually a pretty darn good team. Agreed. Uh, but Agreed. but then they beat two ranked teams in Oklahoma or yeah Oklahoma and Florida uh, to end the tournament, and then now they lose to Iowa. But Iowa's kind of a oh, yeah. That's that's the weird part is that it was at home, but Iowa is a pretty good team. Their two losses on the season are were two tight games, one uh, and both in a neutral location, one against one of the better teams now in the country, Texas, and then the other was a three-point loss against Syracuse. So it's not a bad Iowa team. This is an Iowa team that if they hadn't just completely and inexorbitantly collapsed down the stretch last year was a tournament team. But yeah, I mean, this is a Carolina team who was in the top 10, and they should be a little worried uh, granted, it did take a 17 to uh, eight run at the end for Iowa to pull off the win, but uh, I don't think the sky's falling. I don't. I don't think there's. It's not time to panic for North Carolina, but it it, it is a little worrisome that a team that is supposedly and had played so far very very well. Um, again, I'm sorry. It was not Oklahoma. It was UCLA that they beat. In the Bahamas again, the both ranked teams. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a little weird, a little a little schizophrenic right now. Uh, shooting does still seem to be a bit of an issue. I mean, Carol- um, to me, Carolina has one shooter, and it's Marcus Page. And you can't, God, you can't ask him to be your only shooter with everything else he's doing for him. Just taking a quick peek at that box score. Uh, Kennedy Meeks did go six for eight from the field, uh, but Bryce. But Bryce Johnson goes one for seven. JP Tokido goes two of eight, and Justin Jackson goes three for nine, and Nate Britt goes two for eight. So just not a very good shooting night. Uh, Carolina only shoots twenty eight percent from the field, seventeen percent from three. That's four of twenty three. Not very good. So that's where they're going to struggle this year. Some some another place they had struggled even last year was the free throw line, but in this game that wasn't really the case. Thirteen of seventeen. For 77% from the line. So not optimal, but not terrible. I mean, that's only four misses and a small sample size. So it, there, there are things to be worked out, um, certainly. we will. But like I said, we will come back to this a little bit later in the pod if these games do end. Um, so Wes, let's now hit the zeitgeist. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Uh, the NFL St. Louis Rams 
Uh, a few players came out before Sunday's game. Uh, because we needed the, an NFL story. We did. We did need our dumb NFL story of the day. Um, this time, they, they do the hands-up-don't-shoot gesture uh, as they came out, uh, just like Michael Brown and many others have done uh, in a uh, show of compassion and solidarity for Ferguson protesters. Um very interesting response. Uh, the basically, the the police department said, "We want you to apologize," and apparently the Rams were kind of like, um, "No." And then it turned out that they kind of did apologize. Like one guy apologized to them, but then he, the guy came out and said, "No, I didn't actually apologize. It was more one of those kind of sarcastic, I'm sorry you were offended' apologies." And and the the police department just kind of ran with it. So, uh, what 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 do you make of this? I I I see no problem with this, and I think the Rams would have been completely in the right. Jeff Fisher said as much. They're not going to apologize, and they're not going to be sorry for it. And I I think that's the right thing. I mean, I'm I'm not going to get into the whole Ferguson deal again. Um, <clears throat> I do somewhat think it maybe could be said that it was done in bad taste. Um, and that's, of course, because, and the only reason I say that is because, you know, you basically are, as the organization, the St. Louis Rams, you're basically saying, you know, um, screw you, local law enforcement. A little. Because, and and I, I don't mean that as in that's what the players were doing, saying, oh, we're going to screw the cops now. Right. But, you know, I mean, I've heard, I've seen some things like, uh, you know, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the St. Louis Police Department who, you know, does the standby at the Rams game should just say, hey, you know, don't call us next time. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, you know, what, what are you going to do then? Um, it's It's a shitty situation. Um, I think it's been a little overblown, but you know, Hey, once again, that's just, that's what we do now. We overblow stuff. Well, and I think, I think more it's been over and I, I, I hate to use the word overblown cause I, I don't really think, I, I think the media has overblown it, well, yeah, but I think yeah, that, the, and I, I think this is a very serious situation and I, and I know you do too. I, I, I just, I, I think you're right. The media did kind mm-hmm. of overblow it a little bit. But I, I think what it was more was just like the cumulative effect, like we talked about a little, I think, pre-pod, uh, about mm-hmm. the, the one that happened today in New York, where they're not indicting the, the police officer that choked a, a suspect to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's not going to be indicted. And this was another unarmed black man. And, and this seems to be a, a worrisome, reoccurring trend of, of, of police officers killing unarmed black people and it's 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 a disturbing trend and it's a little it's a little creepy and i think i think that what police do is a very important job i think it's a very dangerous job i understand that i i just i it seems like there's some disconnect coming to light uh there was there was a picture circulating around on the internet of a a message board that you had to be a police officer i don't remember which department to register with but they were talking about the decision from today mm-hmm. about the police officer in New York, and, and they kept referring to, oh, this is great. We, we ha- now have another thing to get thugs off the streets, and you know it's, it's a dangerous job, so I'm glad to see that this is going. And it's, 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 it's just a little disconcerting that the people 
who are supposed to be protecting us and we're supposed to be putting our trust in to keep us safe. Uh, all of us, regardless of what we look like, have have this sort of mentality. And I don't want to say that it's that there's not you know crime issues, but but there, man, there there are crime issues. We are in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. There are crime issues, um, but it's it's just a little. And I'm not saying it's everyone, but it's a little disconcerting to see that mindset coming from people in that kind of power. And that's why I like what the Rams players did. It's it wasn't a middle finger. It kind of maybe a little bit could have been construed that way, but it was just one thing. Okay, hands up, and now let's go play football. It wasn't anything crazy. You know, I saw some people going, uh, "Well, you know, if you know excessive celebration is a penalty in the NFL, why why wasn't this excessive?" <laughs> uh, blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Well, first of all, because excessive." Yes. Celebration is a stupid rule. Second of all, you're cons you're you're comparing something that happens in a sporting event to something that is happening in real life every day. Let's exactly. let's not confuse the two here. So, I'm glad the St. Louis Rams are doing. Apologize. I think maybe behind the scenes there needed to be some talking amongst the police department and the organization. But mm. I I don't think the Rams, the players, or the organization have anything to apologize for. No, nah, I mean, I don't think so. I kind of wish they had not done it, but I don't think it's something they need to come out and apologize for. Um, I mean, if they had come out with a sign saying, fuck the police, you know, I think that would have been okay. Now I think we've stepped over a line. How freaking epic would that have been? It would have it made the internet explode is what would have happened. Even um, even more even more than the Odell Beckham Jr. catch, and uh, and and what uh, Kim Kardashian hoped to do, um, and just real quick, I'm not going to go deep into my beliefs or what I feel about all this. Um, I, I do want to say that I believe that um, the people today uh, with this whole New York deal, I think they have much more of a uh, of an argument and a fight to make than Ferguson. Uh, I would probably agree with that, depending on the information and what, the accuracy yeah, of it all. I, yeah. I, th I think you're right. I think just what right. we've heard, and just, well, I said just what we've heard, and uh, of course the autopsy report on Michael Brown has come out, mm -hmm. and um, you know that kind of has some, you know, that, that seems to support <laughs> the the story more from uh, the police point of view than from uh, you know the Michael Brown point of view, um, but. You know that 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 seems like it actually turned into a fight, and I've always kind of felt you know once you challenge a cop to a fight, mm -hmm. whatever happens, um, that's on you at that point. Mm -hmm. um, what it sounded like happened in New York was much more. You know, it doesn't sound like this guy was trying to pick a fight or that he was you know trying to attack anyone. He just wanted he just wanted some answers. He may have gotten belligerent. He may have gotten loud. He may have been quote an asshole. Well, what it looked but, like was he was he was getting stopped for I believe selling illegal cigarettes. That's right. Um, that's right. And I think he resisted arrest, and then they yeah. brought him down. And he's a large he's a large man. Yeah, he's a big guy, and uh, apparently had asthma, and his asthma and his weight contributed to it. Um, I, I but just, he was in handcuffs. He was in handcuffs. There was no exactly. need. Exactly. I, I see no need why he should have been put into a chokehold at that point. Um, 
But anyway, beside the point, um, yeah, anyway. the last thing I'm going to say about the Rams and Ferguson, whatever it was, it worked for the Rams because they beat the Raiders 52 to nothing. And uh, in my week to get into the fantasy playoffs, I had to have a lot of things go right. I did make the gamble to pick up the Rams defense that week, and they scored well done. points. Well uh, and also too. Trey Mason ran very pissed off and scored another 30 for me. So, um, hey, if that's what it takes for the Rams to uh, put up big numbers for defense, because I'm keeping them this week in the first round of the playoffs, please, by all means, come out with your hands up again. <laughs> oh, and they say John Harbaugh wants to go to Oakland. Because it's all about me, Ed. Yes, it is all about it's you. It's all about me and what works for me at the end of the day. Well, let's go to some uh, also some more sad news, this time back in college football. Uh, the University of Alabama Birmingham is going to be closing its football program after a fairly good year by the Blazers. It's going to be the first school to make the cost-cutting move in nearly two decades uh president ray watts announced the decision tuesday with the blazers players and coaches uh a lot of fans gathered outside in the third straight day of efforts to support the program uh, uab said in a release that it subsidizes 20 million dollars of the athletic department's operating budget of some 30 million dollars annually and said both those numbers rank fifth fifth in conference usa the university said the difference over the next five years would be an extra $49 million with football, including a projected $22 million needed for football facilities and upgrades. UAB is the first major college program since Pacific in 1995 to shut down. Thank you, Jay Reeves and John Zenner of the Associated Press for coming up with this article. Um, it, it's a sad story. I actually, our good friend Andrew Ivins actually brought this to my attention on Twitter. I, I, I'm I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I mean, this is not, you know, Florida International. This is this is a fairly prominent uh, non-power five program. Uh, uh, for what it's worth, I mean, it's not like this was a perennial bowl team. Uh, and trust me, I saw plenty of uh, we call them UAB. I saw plenty of UAB um, in Conference USA, of course, when East Carolina was there. Um, I mean, UAB was actually kind of the school that in most years you were like, okay, that's an easy win. Um, you know, and I'll say this too, man. There, There's a video out that um, <clears throat> when the school president was walking, um, you know, people just hurling insults at him. And I think I made the comment, because I work in Greenville and I uh, work with some ECU guys. I think I made the comment that, um, oh, look, that's about as many people as show up for their home games. <laughs> and I'm not far off. I remember Britt Johnson telling me about uh, four or five years ago that um, uh, he and his family uh, packed up. And, you know, Britt, of course, uh, at this point, he was down in South Carolina. Maybe it was just a couple years ago. Um, they went to the game in Birmingham because it's not a far drive from where they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, Britt said he could. Uh, he literally sat in the stadium and counted how many people were in there. I did hear from some of the people <laughs> who were talking about it. I did hear that their facilities were though very run down and also in a in a very bad part of town. Yeah, well, I mean, they played in Legion Stadium, which uh, that that's where they um, they would play the Birmingham Bowl Birmingham Bowl game. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the one time I went down, and I've, I've actually I've been to their stadium. Um, you know, 
it's a very old, it, it's an old stadium. Um, it was kind of in its heyday back during the Bear Bryant days when Alabama played um, about half of their home games every year in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's it's a shit stadium, man. Legion Field, it's, it's just, it's crap. I mean, it's 80, 90 years old. Um, they never really put a lot of money back into it, especially once Alabama stopped playing their games there. Um, I mean, money pretty much stopped going into the facility at all, um, and they just kind of let them. Uh, I mean, th- there was there was no chance there because that's an eight. That's like a seventy-five, eighty thousand seat stadium, I believe. And I mean, you're just you're you're not packing that place out. Yeah. So, um, and when when you have these very small. Um, when you have these very small crowds on TV, uh, I mean, it just it looks terrible. And actually, capacity right now for for um, that stadium seventy one thousand five hundred ninety four. Uh, stadium wow. opened in nineteen twenty seven. Jeez. So, um, you know, Alabama played there up through two thousand and three. They said they would play about half their games there. Auburn played some of their games there. Uh, UAB's been there since 1991 playing the Birmingham Bowl since 2006. Uh, I mean, there have been a lot of – I mean, they, they, were, they were playing bowl games in this stadium back in the 40s. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been the home to, you know, a handful of bowls. Um, USFL, CFL, had an XFL team there for a year. That they did. Uh, they did. At its peak, uh, the place will hold about 83,000. Uh, and it, it was named, and it was uh, up on the upper deck up there. It's the football capital of the South. Um, and, it, and it was, I mean, so many classic, as we said, Bear Bryant, Alabama games there from back in the day. But it, it had really, and this is coming from a guy who went to the Orange Bowl in the last, you know, decade that the Orange Bowl was there. Um the Orange Bowl, at least, yes, it was it was run down compared to new modern stadiums, but at least it still felt alive at the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, Legion Stadium it was, or Legion Field, it was like, oh, this place is just crap. So it, it, it was what it was. And, um, it's kind of a weird situation for UAB because their board of trustees, UAB and uh, University of Alabama Huntsville, which are in the kind of Alab- University of Alabama system, mm-hmm. they don't have their own board of trustees. Everything is run out of Tuscaloosa. That is a bit odd. And uh, exactly. So, needless to say, if money ever needs to go anywhere, where do you think that money's going? It's going to Tuscaloosa. They're not giving it out freely at all. Um. And I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of, it kind of is a sad end. <clears throat> it's really sad for the players and for the coaches. Um, fan wise, I don't really feel that bad overall for the fans, just because like I said, I mean, yeah, they never went. Yeah. So, I, I feel bad for the season ticket holders, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, overall, it's not like, you know, you know, it's not like you're shutting down. I'll just say East Carolina is kind of a comparable kind of school, mm-hmm. you know, same conference, obviously for years. You know, it's not like they're shutting down the ECU program and 50,000 people who pack the stadium out every week suddenly are losing their program. Right. So Yeah, it is it is a sad story. Um, it, you, you hate to see any school like that, you know, collapse and, and, and have to get rid of a, a major sports program. 
but unfortunately, that is the case at UAB. And well, uh, and I'm hoping just real, just I'll throw one more thing in. You're hoping that this is not going to set a precedent. Oh I mean, yeah, lo- losing UAB in the grand scheme is not. I mean, it's a chink. It's it's really not anything big to um, you know the NCAA or to college football. But I mean, you know, I don't want to, in ten years. You know, I, I can I can lose one program. I mean, I don't think anybody's really missed Pacific since 1995. Um, but you know, I don't want to be 10 years down the road and 15 or 20 small of these smaller programs have had to shut down. That's not going to be good at all. I, I agree with you. It's, it is a little disconcerting to see how that could be happening going forward. All right. Moving on to slightly more head scratching news. Um, this week Rolling Stone came out with their, uh, top Albums of the Year, Rolling Stone, that somewhat venerable music publication. Um, number one, Rolling Stone chooses U2's Songs of Innocence. That's the sound of Rolling Stone kissing U2's ass all day long. I, I see that. It's <clears throat> the, biggest, the biggest turn in the universe. Um, it is kind of amazing that a, a album that not only was hoisted upon Apple device users uh, without really their consent, not only is that, but it, one that was never really universally loved by anybody, no, no critics, no anything, that became Rolling Stone's number one album of the year over the likes of the Black Keys, Taylor Swift, and even Beyonce, Ed Sheeran, and Sam Smith. Three of those last three being some of 2014's top album sellers. And of course, album sellers don't mean everything, but oh, oh my goodness, what is Rolling Stone thinking, Wes? I mean, it's U2. U2, I mean, don't get me wrong, U2, awesome band, one of the best rock bands ever, we know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But just because they have an album coming out does not mean Rolling Stone that you need to completely suck their asshole no. And tell them that it's the greatest thing ever because it's not. Not even close. It, it's it's whatever. It's an it's an okay YouTube album. I mean, in the pantheon of YouTube of YouTube albums, I mean, I don't think anybody's ever going to say this is even being close to their best album ever. No, it was fine. It was I I listened to it once. It was it was fine. I mean, it was yeah, exactly. I mean, it it wasn't it wasn't bad. No, I mean that, we'll put it that way. It's not like it was bad. But I mean, I just don't think anybody's going around humming songs from this. Yeah. And you know, there's certainly no Sunday Bloody Sunday. There's no you know New Year's Day. Uh, and this is not Acton Baby. No, no. There, there. It was. That's the biggest compliment I can give the album. Was it was fine. Yeah. And that's and that's it. But like you so said, less- other acts. And and I'm not the biggest contemporary music fan ever. You know that my favorite new artist is Bruce Springsteen. Uh, yes. But, uh, I mean, some of those other ones, I mean, you know, I thought Ed Sheeran was just, I think he's fantastic. Well, what was, what was your, what would have been your choice for album of the year then, Wes? <sighs> and this is just from where I said, I mean, I've, I've heard a little bit of all those albums that, um, that you mentioned. I've heard a little bit of them. I don't sit and listen to a lot of them. Um, I, I'm a fan of the Black Keys. I think they're, oh, they're good. They're as good Blue, very good album. Very good. Album and they're as good of an American band as there is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but really, I mean, I said Ed Sheeran. I've, I've really enjoyed Ed Sheeran. I really have. Um, and last night, uh, kicked up for me a little bit as, um, 
he had the um, kind of the, the final scene song for last night's penultimate episode of Sons of Anarchy, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Yes. Um, and it was just perfect for the mood. Everything was perfect about it. Um, and I just, I really, I think he's a great artist. That's awesome. I would, I think people who know me would, would think they know what I'd say was my album of the year. And, and they would be wrong, actually. I think people who know me would actually guess that it, I would say it was uh, the new Linkin Park album, The Hunting Party. And I would say you're wrong. It was not actually my album of the year. I will tell you, my album of the year is one that's not going to get much mention. Uh, it's it's still kind of a small band. They're still just touring. Uh, they're, they're starting to get more notoriety through their touring this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a band called Starset <clears throat> and the album Transmissions. Uh, they had a couple big singles this year, including one uh, that stayed on a lot of modern rock charts for most of the year called My Demons. Um, just a, a fantastic rock album from beginning to end. Just 13 amazing songs. And I just, the tempo changes are perfect. There's, it's it's not too hard. It's not super, it, it just, It'll get hard for a few minutes, and then it'll bring it back down, and then it'll take you in a different direction, and then it'll take you in a different direction. That's what and she I just, said. Sorry. Basically, it's fine. Um, and the lead frontman, uh, Dustin Bates, uh, is actually uh, had gone to school to do his PhD in uh, electrical engineering and to build go build robots, and then halfway through was like, eh, I don't feel about it. I, I just not feeling it. I'm just going to start making music. <laughs> and it really shows. He, he's, he's, he's a very smart man, very good lyricist, and uh, he's a pretty darn good singer too. So I, I would say they're not going to get a whole lot of love, but I would I would say my album of the year is Transmissions by Starset. So go pick it up on the iTunes Music Store where you can also find this podcast. Um, Wes, you mentioned it. It's time oh, for the watch. Yeah. Let's let's get what's become basically from you our uh, weekly Sons of Anarchy. Only one more week though, so so let's get in. Um, <clears throat> I think you may have seen my Facebook post today. Um, <clears throat> and all your of course, Twitter I love posts. my meme with my beloved Dean Ambrose. Oh my yes, and everything. Oh my swear post. Um, I, I love my Dean Ambrose memes. Um, and my, my new favorite one is um, the shot look of Dean Ambrose on that fateful night in June 2nd, 2014, where Seth Rollins broke up the shield, um, where Ambrose with a shot look on his face. And next to it are the words Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which if you know the shield, they use the NATO phonetic alphabet, uh, Sierra Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, shield. So, um, you know, you, you take Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, Sons of Anarchy. Folks, just just real quick, if you're listening to this and it's Thursday or Friday, <clears throat> and say you DVR'd the show, you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a countdown from five to uh, to turn down your player, and uh, just just give me about sixty seconds here. But uh, let's go five, four, three, and you'll know two. <clears throat> And here we go. Okay, here's your spoiler for the week. Uh, three main characters, three day one characters, uh, in three successive um, sequences on the show were killed. 
Yay. Uh, the first one being our, our beloved Juice, who uh, had done the dirty work for the club in, uh, in prison. Um, and for his part in the murder of Jax's wife, he, uh, he did have a hit put on him from the, uh, from the club, uh, to be carried out by the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, instead of basically living the rest of his days in fear of when was it going to happen, he, uh, he went up the Aryan Brotherhood, uh, Marilyn Manson playing the main character for him and said, uh, you know, please just go ahead and do it for me. And they, uh, they took him out in a very gripping, uh, scene that just had you with your mouth hanging open, uh, stabbed in the neck about four times, oh, bled out right there on the floor in the cafeteria in the prison. <clears throat> that was the end of Juice. In our next sequence, um, we find that Jax has figured out where his mother, who he found out a week ago, uh, murdered his wife, where she has gone to. And he's on his way. Our, um, our, our police hero, Chief Unser, has made his way up there to try to save Gemma, try to bring her back. Um, Jax arrives while Unser is there. Uh, Unser trying to, uh, uh, all the way to the end, trying to be the peacemaker, trying to say, you know, you don't need to kill her, we'll take her in, da-da-da-da. Uh, had a gun on Jax saying, I don't have a choice, I can't let you kill her. Um, so Jax uh, puts one right into Unser's chest, and suddenly we see the uh, the police, the former chief of police, uh, now dead on the floor. And then probably thus far the most gripping, one of the most gripping scenes of the series. Um, Jax takes his mother, Gemma, played by uh, Katie Seagal, as I tell people who don't watch, uh, Peggy Bundy, (laughs) Uh, takes her out into the garden of her her father's childhood home, Um, has a real moment of, you know, should I do this? Should I not do this? And then uh, Gemma basically suffering from the, uh, the pain, the guilt, knowing what she had done to everyone. She basically said to him, you know, it's okay, do it. This is what you need to do. You know, I have nothing but love for you. And uh, after about five gripping seconds of him standing there pointing the gun at his mother's head, all of a sudden he pulls the trigger and down goes the black widow, Gemma Teller. Wow. So... <laughs> Um, one of his soldiers, you know, the guy who had always kind of been one of his moral compasses and his mother all dead in about a 30 minute span, um, two at his hand. So, uh, also on the show, uh, Jax was given, um, the order that, uh, his punishment for killing another president in the club was, um, that, uh, he would have to meet what they call Mr. Mayhem, which, uh, means he would have to be killed himself. Uh, that vote went down. So basically, with the season the season and series finale coming up next Tuesday night, um, our questions hopefully will be answered. Um, the uh, the easy the the prevailing easy thought is that uh, Jax is going to die one way or the other. Never ever 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 trust Kurt Sutter to stick to script <laughs> <laughs> um, or to give you the easy way out of anything. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be an explosive series finale. I personally, I'm, I'm I'm on the fence. I can't wait because it's going to be an awesome show. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to be horribly kind of saddened when it's over because it's just it's been a great show. Seven seasons. <clears throat> there was the crap season. I believe that was season three, um, where they were in Ireland. It was just yes. it was not great. Um, 
very, very stretchy. Um, obviously, there's been down shows. I mean, that's any show. You're going to get a down one every now and then. But overall, man, it's been a great series. I've loved it. I'm going to miss it. So uh, I'm just I'm ready for this last ride Tuesday night, man. I'm going to put on my, uh, my skeleton bandana. Um, I'm going to rev my imaginary motorcycle. And uh, we're going to see how Sons of Anarchy ends. Oh, well, you can have a sad nap after and then talk to us on, my, on the podcast next week. Um, but you mentioned that they're ending. Um, everybody going on winter break, basically, after this week almost. Uh, in fact, in about a month, we'll be getting Archer back. So that's that's good. And I, I believe I've confirmed that's going to be a Thursday night at 10 o'clock show. So there you go for that. Um, well, very, that's very no basketball on those nights um i would say my again it's age agents of shield is just kind of doing it for me right now uh they're going after the uh inhumans city Mm -hmm. that is apparently in puerto rico who knew that's that's obviously why they were so good in the world cup this this year because they were all inhumans they are all like gods it's crazy um no, that, that that would actually be a fantastic explanation. But there's a lot of good stuff going on. I mean, this this show, Shield. I I was actually just to do some testing the other day. I'm testing my uh, T-Mobile test drive phone, and just to uh, check out the some of the signal. I was playing Netflix, and I said, "Well, I don't want to play anything I, I really want to watch, so I'll just go through the first season of Shield and see how the connection holds up." Mm-hmm. And watching that first season of Shield. And to see where it's come since then is mind-boggling in the terms of quality improvement. I mean, it was a a very average show at the beginning, and now it is really getting me every week as as a person who loves this kind of thing. It's not Sons of Anarchy. Don't get me wrong; it's not it's not going to grip you by the throat and then stab you there. It's just gonna it's just gonna kind of it's gonna bring you along. And now it's getting there's some good emotional beats. Uh, between uh, Fitz and Simmons, uh, just very good. You know, as as Fitz's mental deterioration continues, to see the two of those characters have a very touching moment in anger as he's telling her he's leaving uh, to go work in the garage instead of in the science lab that they've always worked in together. Uh, just very very well done by those two actors. Um, a lot of cool stuff though going on. Uh, and Sky, her character is finally going to be reunited with her dad, and we're going to find out who Sky probably really is, and <laughs> why she is so valuable. And probably she's an Inhuman, which means she can probably do crazy cool stuff that we haven't really tapped into yet. Um, as always, it's just it's the season finale coming up next week. This week was a lot of setup. As I said, we found the the. Inhumans City. I'm and I'm going to keep saying it's Inhumans until the show proves me wrong. That's what it is. They set up. They announced the damn movie. They have to set up the movie somehow. They might as well do it in the damn show. So that's going to be what they find, I'm sure. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's what I'm watching. But everything else that I watch is basically also coming to an end for the winter. Uh, you have Once Upon a Time look to be finishing their Frozen arc, uh, which I. Haven't loved, but I I just I really like Frozen, so that's been cool. Um, Grimm still has a few episodes left uh, before there. They actually got a late start, so they have a ways to go. Um, but everything else kind of wrapping up, but very 
probably most excited for Agents of Shield to see to see where they leave us. And then, of course, in the beginning of January, we're going to be getting Agent Carter from Marvel in that little seven part miniseries. So that that'll be. I love Peggy Carter. I love I love strong British female women. There we go. Very important for them to be both female and women. We love you. Them. Never quite know in England. No, no, you never do know in England. All right. Um, <laughs> speaking of something else you don't always know about, Wes, let's get so wrong. Man, I'm going to tell you, this week, uh, <clears throat> not, not a lot of talcum powder needed. Ugh, a particularly slow week on Raw kind of sucked. That's because uh, everything happened outside of Raw. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the whole... the the. The shadow of CM Punk was on the show. And literally, here's the deal. The best thing that happened on Raw was um, the post-show on Raw. <laughs> uh, on, on the network, only nine ninety nine a month. Um, yeah. Where uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, who, I, as you know, I'm a, I'm a big-time listener of his podcast. Very good podcaster is uh, Steve Austin. Um, interviewed Vince McMahon on his podcast and did it live on the WWE Network. Um and they uh, they got into about ten minutes. Got into the CM Punk deal. Um, you know, Vince McMahon, one of the most powerful men, obviously probably the most powerful man in wrestling, one of the most powerful men really in entertainment. Uh, when you come down to it, um, it's really really good interview with him. And that was God. That was the highlight of the night because the show to me was just kind of eh, whatever. Um, storybook building, story building. See, what the deal is, this time of the year is not great, usually, anyway. Um, after Survivor Series, we basically have a three-week build to the next uh, pay-per-view, which is uh, TLC, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs. Um, right. and, uh, and you're not going to get a lot of, you're not going to get new stories for that, <clears throat> just because there's not time for it. Um, you know, you have to go with what you already have established, um, what they're doing is uh, mostly breaking off from the big Survivor Series match. They're breaking off into singles matches from that <clears throat> and giving them stipulations. You're going to get John Cena versus Seth Rollins. Um, you're getting the rematch out Bray Wyatt versus Dean Ambrose, which, by the way, we get to see in Greenville on Sunday, Ed. I hope. I, oh, well, well, at least I will. I hope you're there with me. Uh, <laughs> come on, Joe Villa. Make it happen, man. Um so, uh, you know, it's just, it's right now, everything's just advancing the plot. Um, coming up there, uh, Brock Lesnar, who's the world heavyweight champion, we have not seen him on air really in about two months, which is crazy. Of course, Lesnar's kind of a special attraction guy. Um, he is booked. He's being advertised uh, to be on Raw Monday night in Spartanburg, South Carolina, or excuse me, in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, he's advertised to be on Raw, so hopefully that'll finally do something because we haven't done anything with the world title in a couple of months. Um, <clears throat> but, Ed, from here, uh, after the pay-per-view on the 14th, uh, that's when it should start getting fun because that starts the build-up to the Royal Rumble. And the Royal Rumble is kind of the unofficial kickoff to WrestleMania season. So, um, you know, should be picking up hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll really be getting some good things going on Raw. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll be sure to keep checking in on that, and uh, we'll be keeping up to date. As I was listening on uh, one of my other podcasts, I'll, I'll give them a free plug, the Super Best Friend Cast, um, as maintained by uh, Patrick Boyvin, uh, Matt McMuscles, uh, Liam Allen Miller, and Willie Madden. 
Wooly men once killed a man. Um, they they <laughs> mentioned they mentioned that uh, one of them, Matt, actually uh, mentioned, wouldn't this be the greatest thing ever if this was all just an elaborate storyline and that th- CM Punk goes to work like an office job for three years and then just comes back? <clears throat> and that this was this was all an elaborate storyline. That that's all this is. All the book, the interview, everything. It's just all a storyline. Well, I mean, it, it's been thrown around. See, here's the deal. Ten years ago, um, I would have believed this would be a storyline. Just the way WWE's been for about the last six, seven years, um, I don't think they're smart enough to actually make this a storyline. <laughs> They've all, they've been saving up. They've been saving up for this one what? mega storyline. That's be it. But here's also the deal, man. <clears throat> With WWE, and Vince McMahon said it in the interview. He said, you know, I understand. You know, right now we've got some really bad feels between Punk and myself. He said, I totally have no problem doing business again one day. With Vince McMahon, literally, if 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 you guys can go to work together and make money, Vince McMahon counts nothing out. I mean, there have been guys, you know, I mean, the big Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, you know, uh, Stone Cold at one point. Uh, Steve, Steve Austin basically did about the same thing that CM Punk did. Walked off a of Raw one night, was gone for eight months. You know, oh, God, he'll never be back. I and mean, he was back, you know, and became as big, if even bigger, a star than ever. Um, you know, Hulk Hogan came back. Uh, you know, like we said, um, you know, <laughs> If, if Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon is one of those guys that he's at the end of the day, he's not going to take it personally. If he thinks that you're an asset for him, you're, you can be an asset. Um, you know, it, 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 this could be so real right now that it's not funny. I mean, every, and I believe right now that it is real, mm-hmm. but like they say in three years, you know, CM Punk could decide, you know, I want to come back. Vince, let's do business. They do business. And then they come back and they cut it as in, yeah, this was an angle. You know, it's like, oh well, we'll take control of the situation. Ah, it was a, it was a work the whole time. No, right now it's, it is a shoot. Right now, I have no doubt about that. It's a shoot. Um, but I mean, never, ever, 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 ever count anyone out that you'll never see someone again until they're dead. <laughs> Bring back Benoit. Bring back Benoit. See, that's one that can't happen because Aww. he's dead. Unfortunately, he's dead. But I'm gonna tell you now, if he had survived. <laughs> Um, that's, that's creepy. If, if the if the uh, if the cord had broken, they could make money. <laughs> they could do business together. We'll oh, this got very macabre all of a sudden. So we're going to end on that note. Uh, we're also going to be able to tell you uh, Duke did beat Wisconsin eighty to seventy. Virginia held on against Maryland, and Georgia Tech barely held on against Northwestern. So the Big Twelve, our Big Ten, sorry, does still win the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Well, the, the, uh, a little bit closer with, though. Big Ten with fourteen teams. Yep, there you go. It's a a very, very big 10. Um, A little bloated. Uh, Also do want to just make a quick shout-out, just because I think this is all it needs. Uh, Dale Scott, congratulations, man. uh, Keep keep living your life, bro. You're making good decisions. We like to see it. Um, That's going to do it for us now, though, on episode 31. Uh, episode 32 will be next week. We will have Champions League and Europa League to talk about, as well as, of course, another week in the Barclays Premier League college football to discuss. And then, Wes, we will be going on international break. We will have new episodes still every week. They just might be not as 
live and as current and as football-y as we are used to them being, but we'll still be bringing them to you. Uh, and, of course, uh, my club traveling to Ludigritz. Woo-hoo. Woo! My club traveling to Turkey. We're, we're oh. going to have our night in Istanbul, Wes. Oh. Just, uh, if you saw the, uh, the movie many years ago, don't try to bring hash back. I will try. Um, but that's going to do it now for episode 30. If you want to get us with us on social media, you can. Uh, on Twitter, we are at All New Sports Show. Wes, you are? I'm at Wes Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, uh, as well as emailing us and mailing us things. Those are all in the podcast description. Uh, Want to, of course, give a big shout-out to podbean.com for hosting our files. You can listen to us on there, as well as on Stitcher Radio and the iTunes Music Store, which for a few hours was down yesterday, and it didn't allow me to listen to any of my music in the cloud or any of the iTunes radios, so thanks for that. But hey, you're back up now, so it's all good. Apparently a lot of people were trying to download the CM Punk interview and were very pissed off. So. Oh, sorry, guys. Um, that's, oh, man, I, if only Steve Jobs were still alive. Um, but that's going to do it for us here. Uh, Wes, anything to say before we go? I'm just looking forward to taking you to your first night at the matches, Ed, so you can uh, continue to fall in love with this uh, sports entertainment that we call professional wrestling. I hope so. Um, So for all of us here from the all-new sports show, the podcast for producer Dez, that was Wes Bradshaw. We'll be back next week for episode 32. Thank you so much again to all of our fans who listen to us every week. We would not do this if it wasn't for you. So take care. Have an amazing weekend. And come on, you Spurs and Yellow Jackets and, I don't know, TCU. Your oh, you'll, frogs. You'll never walk alone and good night, Uganda. Oh, again, is this like a Chelsea Handler thing? Is this what oh, you're doing with Uganda? I have no idea what you're talking about. She she had a special called Uganda Be Kidding Me, and it was I didn't watch it because she's stupid and shouldn't have a television show, but she does. And it was. Yeah.